Bloody Elbow presents The Mookie and Crookie Show, a spin-off of the Level Change podcast that goes a little more in-depth on major combat sports news, as well as takes a humorous look at the crazy world of combat sports social media. Here are your hosts, Mookie Alexander and Steffi Haynes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 175 of the Mookie and Crookie Show. I'm your host, Mookie Alexander, joined, as always, by Steffi Haynes. I guess we'll talk about UFC London. Yeah, we'll, we'll do that. But there's also some more interesting stuff to discuss, including Chris Wade's uh, PFL pay complaints, Michael Chandler teasing his next fight, and there was a unique ending to an ACA fight over in Russia that I think uh, I need to see more often. But before we get into that, how's it going, Steffi? It's going. <laughs> it's hot and sticky, and they're doing construction near my house, and it just doesn't create a peaceful, happy environment for me. <laughs> okay, I'm not sleeping well because these people are so loud at like 6 a.m. Oh my goodness, it's just awful. But you know what? UFC 277 is right around the corner, so I'm going to gear up for that and start looking towards that. Yeah, I, I, I'm very much looking forward to 277. I don't think it's a tremendous pay-per-view, but it's a good card. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, it's, a, it's a really good card. So it, hopefully we get much more entertaining fights than we did last week. I'm doing all right. Uh, we've avoided a heat wave for the longest while, like a really long one, but we're going to get one the whole week. And I'll tell you about timing, because the World Track and Field Championships just wrapped mm-hmm. up on Sunday in Eugene. And they're, you know, an hour and a half or two hours down south of Portland. But what temperature tends to be about the same, give or take a few degrees. If they had had it like a week later Mm. and then the bulk of the events are this week, Mm. they absolutely would have done what happened last year with the U.S. Olympic trials and pushed some events to like way late in the evening because of how hot it is on the track. I mean, I went there in May and it was a pretty cool, uh, you know, pretty cool afternoon. It was raining a bit, but that track track side can get very, very hot. Yeah. So that would have been miserable for the athletes. Even on Sunday, the, the 5,000 meter final, they had a water station because of how hot it was at the track. It was somewhere in the 80s. Wow. So there were a couple of people. That, you know, there was one athlete, the gold medalist, Inga Britson. He actually had a couple of mid-race drinks. He went out to lane six away from the pack to get a drink, just swoop up the cup all in one in, in one action and then get a get get some fluids in. <laughs> The next thing you know, they're going to have IV stations. <laughs> yeah, yeah, probably. But anybody who went to Eugene over the last week and a half, I hope you enjoyed the uh, the city. I ad- enjoyed it when I went there in May. And little did I know that several of the people who won in May in the local track, the Prefontaine Classic, would go on to become world champions over this past week. And oh. one person who didn't even win in her race in Prefontaine in May Broke the world record in the 100 hurdles over the weekend twice. Well, once and then the second time is asterisk because of a wind, uh, too much wind. But, man, that was awesome to see. And uh, I wish I could have gone, but I know a lot of people enjoyed themselves. It's just so, so bizarre because major championships in sports, they're normally in big cities. Whether it's track or, or basketball or, or, or the Olympics in general or the World Cup, big cities, big countries. Eugene's got 170,000 people. So it must have been a culture shock for so many folks to figure out this is the place. You know what? For those of you out there listening, if you haven't figured it out yet, Mookie is a sports nut. I mean, to tell you, I I don't know of many sports he doesn't watch, but he has loved track and field for as long as I've known him. And I've known him for like 11, 12 years now. <laughs> and... Man, oh man, this is like the fourth or fifth time you've gone and actually watched these things over the years, though. So I um when you start talking about track and field, I sit back because I, I like listening to the energy in your voice when you're describing these events that you've seen live. I love it. Oh, man, it, 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 it's, it was phenomenal when I went there a couple months ago. I didn't get to go to the Worlds this year. Um, but hopefully the next time they have it, Eugene will have built out more hotels so people don't have to stay in Salem and, and places that are nowhere near Eugene, like, like a hop, skip and a jump. I mean, they were running hotels like 400, 500 a night. That's how it was for us when we went to Formula One in mm-hmm. October. Uh, we paid right around $500 a night for our hotel. Uh, we only stayed for two uh, No, actually, we yeah, two nights, Friday and Saturday night. But, um, man, it was expensive. Everything. I mean, from the food to uh, we had looked into getting an Uber from the hotel over to the track. And 
I mean, it was ridiculous. It was going to run us $200. And yeah. so we just, we ended up driving, which was another huge mistake because when we had gone before, we drove to the hotel and then we took the bus charter over because you could buy um, seats on their bus systems that are just for the track that'll take you to um, like a park and ride. And we did that the first time. And man, we were in and out of there so fast. But last year, my goodness, I mean, we were nine hours getting home and we live 90 minutes from the track. Jeez. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Well, pr price gouging is is just <laughs> the way of life whenever there's a major yeah. meets or championship event or major sporting event in your city. Yeah. I mean, it is just absolutely insane. So. Uh, I mean, it's a good thing that's that's not a huge stadium down in Eugene. It's like maybe twelve, fifteen thousand seats. Mm -hmm. So if you had even more people jam packed and it's such a small city, that could have created more congestion than uh, we're used to seeing. And I know people stayed up in Portland because yeah. I mean, you, if you couldn't get a hotel in Eugene, you had to go up to Portland. And even Portland's prices shot up. So it, that tells you how much in demand it was this year. Uh, so anyway, enough about that. Let's get into <laughs> UFC London. I, I would rather talk about anything else except this card. <laughs> right. It was just miserable. And we had high hopes for this card. It looked good on paper, mm -hmm. but this was one of those that looked good on paper and was just completely forgettable uh, at, at, at the end of it. And there's no reason to talk about the main event. Aspinall blew out his knee. I don't know the extent of his injury yet, uh, but I don't know if you run it back or not. I mean, he's not going to be fighting for a while. It, it sucks for both guys because Blades doesn't get a, a, a win that, that that's, you know, a, a big time thing. That was him absorbing a leg kick and Aspinall's knee, give, knee gives out. And for Aspinall, he's not going to fight for a long time mm -hmm. if it's as serious as it looked. I mean, that's devastating. You know, the doctor, um, the orthopedist, Dr. Abbasi, that frequently makes videos breaking down fight injuries. He works with the Performance Institute, has done surgeries on many fighters. He has a, a couple of videos out taking multiple angle looks at the injury, and he's pretty sure that it's a patella injury. He has a specific uh, view, and he's got his little John Madden marker out and everything. But what you see is um, from this one angle, Aspinall lands the kick and you watch his kneecap, the, the doctor points it out, you watch his kneecap like move back and forth and it looks like it's levitating and jiggling a little bit. It's it's quick, you got to pay attention. And then he also draws note to the way that Aspinall's foot lands immediately and the way he draws it up. I mean, the... The, the, the sequence, he says, is exactly the way it would be if one of the, the side cruciate ligaments popped and that would make the patella float around and jiggle like that. So that's what he seems to think has happened. He says he would like to be able to see uh, the scans and things like that, but he's pretty certain that that's what happened. I know a lot of people out there looked at that and were like, oh, come on, he's got to be faking it. Nah, he wasn't faking it. That could be worse if it's mm -hmm. a if it's patella if it's a ruptured patella tendon, mm -hmm. then he could be that that's that I wouldn't say career threatening, yeah. but that could alt it could alter his career. Yes, I know of some NFL players who have had that specific injury, and more often than not, they're never they never produce the same stats post surgery. Right. I mean, it's just it's so demanding. So for Aspinall. All the best to him. Hopefully he can uh, get well and we can see him back at his best because that, that fight I was looking forward to. And I believe that might be the quickest injury stoppage we have ever seen in the UFC. 15 seconds. Yeah. Good that Lord. was quicker than Hall Weidman. Yep. It sure was. Yep. So, I mean, you had that. That was just a, a bummer on a bad card. That Chris Curtis disappointed me. <laughs> I mean, he, he took the fight on short notice, so fair play to him. But him not knowing how to cut off the cage at all was just so maddening to watch. Her Hermanson looked all right. He did, he did what he had to do. But Curtis seemed pissed off that Hermanson dared to just outstrike him. There's some Instagram footage from after the fight. And he apologized. It's him and, and Jack. And they're, they're all hugged up. And being cool and everything and he apologized and said that he had a he said I told y'all I had a temper but I'd like to apologize that's just not me blah 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 so he did come out and apologize and try to make it right well that that's good to see because they got the reputation both of them for being nice dudes so to see Curtis flip the double birds for for at the time no particular reason that was just uh 
the, the, the cherry on top of a shit Sunday for, for his performance. So, again, Curtis, not quite there as far as being up there with the elite middleweights. Hermanson stays alive in the top 10. So I guess the good parts of the card, Patty Pimblett and Molly McCann getting their wins because that's the only time the crowd had any pop. Yeah. Any pop. And I think I said it on Twitter at the time that's Patty and Molly is kind of the the Liverpudlian mm-hmm. version of Paige and Sage. But better. Okay? <laughs> they're both better. I'm sorry. I think there's um, their ceilings are higher yeah. than Paige and Sage. I also don't see either one of them ever being a serious contender, but they're also, you know, more interesting. They're both way more interesting to watch than Paige and Sage. I feel like Molly might have more of an upward ceiling because the division that she's in is much thinner than lightweight. Patty's going to have to wade through a lot of really tough dudes to get into contention. But I feel like Molly's um, path would be a lot shorter, especially if she keeps keeps getting knockouts like this. You know, the UFC will stick her right in there just based off a few knockouts. Well, whoever she fights next, I mean, that's going to be a considerable step up in competition because she's not even ranked at the moment. And there was really no reason to rank her based on the win she's had. And I don't think beating Hannah Goldie would really warrant any major bump in the rankings. I don't think of Hannah Goldie, but if she gets another one and let's say it is something along the lines of a Hannah Goldie or maybe just a step above, you think the UFC won't figure out a way to pop her in there? I think they will because she keeps getting knockouts. Yeah, uh, she's got back to back. I'm hesitant to call that last one a spinning elbow knockout. It was part of the sequence because sure. it was the punches that dropped Goldie. But it, you know, McCann has got that that knockout power that's that's worth fearing. I think for mm-hmm. quite a few flyweights. But if you get on the bottom end of the top fifteen, so man, Aaron Blanchfield is number thirteen. Wow, that tells you how wow. much this division is is getting better. It's not deep, but it is getting better. You got Tracy Cortez as well. Hebosh is interesting because she's ranked in two divisions, so I don't know w- where she's going to stay. But maybe uh, McCann will be just outside the top fifteen for her next fight. And, uh, you know, the, the crowd responds so well to her and responds so well to Pimblet. I love the Pimblet's post-fight um, uh, interview, mm-hmm. which I didn't catch live, but then I caught it afterward with uh, the, the paying homage to his friend who, who died by suicide. I mean, that was a very emotional speech. And you could tell the crowd was emotional, too. It, it was a touching moment because I know Pimblet is not necessarily somebody that everybody likes based on his personality. But you could tell that was very heartfelt. I'd like to just mention that every fight, Pimlet has a cause. You know, he selects someone, he's selected in, in sick children and so on and so forth, but he always dedicates a fight to something, goes out of his way to do some stuff. I'm sorry, I'm a sucker for stuff like that. I can't help it. You know, whether it's manufactured or not, I still like it. It still has a good end. But keep doing your thing. I like it. Mm-hmm. Yep. And, you know, Levitt gave him a difficult first round, sure. um, but it wasn't enough to win him the round. I think all three judges gave Pimblet the first, which whatever. I think there was a decent case to give Levitt the first. But because Levitt is so willing to grapple, I mean, that that back take by Pimblet was super impressive. Mm-hmm. One thing you can't deny, he can grapple yes, for can. all of my skepticism about him and his defensive striking and whether uh, his, his game is going to hold up at the upper end of lightweights. Just the way that he can submission hunt and the way he can get into dominant positions is good enough to keep him around the UFC for a good while. I mean, three fights, three wins, three performance bonuses. So three finishes. He, yes, three three finishes. You know, <clears throat> at lightweights, there, there are a lot of really tough fighters. Him against uh, the, the um, Peruvian dude, the, the knee bar specialist, uh, Puyas, oh, yeah. Claudio Puyas, that would be an awesome fight. I'm going to tell you a fight that Zane wants to see Jim Miller and Patty, and I freaking love that fight. I do. I like it because they can both grapple. They both got power. I like the fight. Let's do it. Yeah, and at this stage of Jim Miller's career, I think even Jim would would, would tell you, Mm -hmm. title run, probably not happening. Yeah, with Jim Miller, I mean, you think about his his last three fights. Okay, he retired Cerrone, but Nicholas Mata and Eric Gonzalez, Nicholas Mata was favored to beat him. I mean, Mata was was this dude who figured, okay, he he could be something in this division. And Jim stopped him. He stopped him impressively. He hadn't been getting knockouts through much of his UFC career. Now he had him back-to-back against Gonzalez and Mota. 
So he has the striking to really bother Pimblet. And we know that Pimblet also has power too. Yeah. So th- there's no denying that offensively Pimblet might be a little wild, but he throws hard and he can hit hard. So that would be a fascinating fight. I think that'd be good matchmaking. You know, if Miller wins, then the, he would have knocked off a, a cage warriors champion. Who's got a lot of charisma and, and a lot of, fans in, on his side and if Pimblet wins he gets a name win because these other dudes he's been beating are not names Jim Miller would be a name and a respectable win too yeah if you recall Jordan Levitt likes to twerk on people after he's he's beaten them and Patty promised a tea bag and it was it was fun and lighthearted. It wasn't like dripped right on his face or anything also for those people that are saying he's nothing like Connor Connor was terrible if you go back into your memory palaces, though, Connor started out real fun and lighthearted, too. It was as his fame progressed that he got progressively worse in these pressers and these post-fight interviews and anytime a mic was in his face and uh, just being awful. But uh, hopefully Patty stays on the fun and light path because I, I like his whole energy. I really do. Mm-hmm. Yep. I imagine he will be he'll fight outside of in front of fans outside mm-hmm. of, of England at some point. Sure. And he even said he's he's done with he doesn't want to be at the O2 arena. He, he wants, you know, bigger fights, bigger venues. And we know that English fans, Irish fans, they travel extraordinarily well. Yeah. So as long as he's fighting in front of a crowd and not at the apex, there's going to be a contingent to Patty Pimblett fans without question and as much as i despise barstool uh barstool of course being in the tank for for both of them mm-hmm. both pimblet and mccann also means some extra fans there too so they they were the two stand-up performers pimblet and mccann which was a very low bar to clear considering how awful this card was the depressing moment for me was watching alexander gustafson get easily mm-hmm. starched by nikita krilov like that was worse than i had expected like krilov normally gets his finishes in the first round but Krilov was just throwing shit. He was just throwing shit and it was working. And Gustafson couldn't handle it. His chin is gone because yeah. for, for him to get knocked out or, or dropped and, and on his way out from a punch, a, a uppercut with one leg in the air because he had caught a kick, that tells me his chin is just toast. Yeah. And let's talk about Mr. Finland, too. My gosh, man. <laughs> yeah, there are a couple of people on the on the prelims. Makwan Amirkani. Charles Rosa. And- yeah, well, Charles Rosa took a hell of a beating, but mm-hmm. he is incredibly difficult to stop. But Amir Khani and Claudio Silva, mm-hmm. they would be so much better if they realized that fights are longer than five minutes. <laughs> I mean, goodness. Uh, Claudio he had such a good first round, didn't he? Yeah, that's the story of his career. Boy, that what a great first round, but they got to fight the rest of the fight. Um, and he, he faded hard. Amir Khani faded hard, too. And, and the referee, had, I think, made a good stoppage. Jonathan Pierce getting the win there. Um Uzdemir Craig was shit. I mean, that was (laughs) abysmal. And you know what's frustrating? Paul Craig is a better striker than he gives himself credit for. Because he was landing on Uzdemir pretty much any time he wanted to exchange. But instead, he opted to pull guard 60 times. And as much as that's worked in the past, it looks like Uzdemir was wise to it. But that was just a mess of a fight. And while I normally rock with Biz being on commentary, I think he was watching a different fight than I was because that fight wasn't close at all. I didn't think so either. Yeah, that that was difficult, but I guess it's it's proof you can finally beat Paul Craig without some random finish happening at the end. So that that streak is over. And then I can't remember who Uzdemir called out, um, but you know he he's he's still hanging in there. It's just that that was a difficult watch. That was awful. So was Giacchese Hadzovic, which is just oh uniquely goodness. boring. <laughs> that was awful. Remember how I... exciting Giacchese used to be? Like he's always had the wrestling part of his game. But now he's just turned into a offense-free wrestler. I, I don't know where, where, where that version has come from. I don't know if it's him having bad reactions to getting hit or something, but that was He rough. had that stretch where that he, he had like two or three losses. And I think that these guys and gals don't want to lose their place on the roster, and so they adjust their game to make sure they don't lose. Diakisi looks like that right now. Yeah, I, I would say so. Uh, and see, he's playing it safe, but that means that the moment he loses, and damn, he's he's only 30. Or sorry, born in 93. He's 29. Good so Lord. He's he, been he's, in the UFC for like eight years? It feels like he's been in the UFC since 2016, but we've known him since his Bama days. And 
he was a, 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 a real threat in Bama. Yeah, I mean, he, he was, was the their lightweight champion, but there was a lot of hype behind him. And she had that three-fight losing streak in the UFC. It looked like he was getting back into a groove, and then he loses to Fiziev, and then to uh, Rafael Alves. So he went 0-2 against the, the Rafael or Rafaels. Mm. But these last two fights have just been dull as can be. It, it can get the job done, but the UFC is also ruthless when it comes to if you're boring the moment you lose, you're going to get cut. And Diakise, I didn't think he would be in this position, but he might very well be in that territory now. He's definitely, in my opinion, he's going to have to make serious changes if he wants to look towards contendership because I don't see it with these kind of performances. No, I don't at all. But, you know, we have these cards every once in a while. The the prelims, you know that they were so bad that Bisbing, I think, got one interview in (laughs) because they were running so long. They, They jammed eight fights into three hours, which was fine for the pacing. But even with the eight fights... Uh, going at a rapid pace in terms of we're done with fight one, we go to fight two. They still went over the time slot because seven of those fights went to decision. And these are not fun decisions. Nope. There there was maybe one fight that looked reasonably entertaining. That was, I think, the Klein-Mason Jones fight. Mm. And even that fight fizzled after the first round. So, yeah, uh, yeah the less said about this card, the better. It, you know, if the first show in London earlier this year with Aspinall and Volkov was was a banger of a show, this one was the ultimate dud, but uh, I hope we don't get too many more of those. For sure. And 277, while it's it's looking to be a good card, it's extremely top-heavy if you look at it. All the good fights are the main card, basically. Yeah, there, and there's a chance, based on some of the fights on this show, we could get some slogs on that on, on that card mm-hmm. as well. But the t- the top of the card... I got no doubt that the main, the two title fights are going to deliver and Pantoj Perez. Uh, but the rest of the show, yeah, that, that could be up in the air. Yeah, for sure. But anyways, we are going to move on because Michael Chandler says he's got fight news coming soon. And it could be, please, 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 God, let this happen. It could be Dustin Poirier. All right. So this comes out of London. MMA Junkie did an interview with Michael Chandler. Uh who was present at UFC London and the former title challenger had wanted to welcome back Conor McGregor, but he was kind of dismissive of Poirier who has also called him out. But now he's hinting around that he and the diamond might actually be booked to fight. And I quote, as of right now, me and Poirier are the only guys that are not matched up inside the top five. There's no secret Poirier and I have been on a collision course to stepping inside the octagon. I'm not waiting. I think you're going to hear some fight news coming soon, and it could be me and Dustin Poirier. We'll see. Now, Chandler doesn't understand why Poirier has been hostile towards him, but if you recall... Uh, a couple of weeks back, I think it was at UFC 276, maybe? They had this little confrontation backstage, and it looked like they were going to scrap, but it was just a bunch of heated words. People got in the middle of them, but the point is, Poirier started the, the argument. He started shouting at him and stuff, and I can understand. Poirier's called out everybody inside the top 10. He's trying to get a fight. And they could have made an awesome fight with him and uh, Nate Diaz, but nope, the UFC has decided to punish Nate Diaz on his way out rather than uh, make an awesome fight with Dustin Poirier. So now we're looking at Michael Chandler. He continued, in his mind, he's got some ill will towards me and it's going to make it that much easier to knock him out whenever he oversteps if he and I do get inside the octagon. But I have not lost one minute of sleep thinking about Dustin Poirier and I'm going to keep on doing what I'm doing until the fight gets announced and then I'm going to go out there and finish my next opponent and become UFC champion next year. Hmm. I don't know about all that. Anyways, the last thing he says is, it's going to be fun for you guys. It's going to be fun for me. It's going to be not fun for my wife. But I do think that he and I are cut from the same cloth. All personal attacks aside, all personal vendettas aside, I respect him. He respects me. I think I can agree with that last part. I think the whole reason why Dustin Poirier has uh, sort of egged on this this little feud is because he wants to get a high-profile fight because 
Dustin's clock is ticking just like everybody else's, and he's been in the game for quite a while. So I understand. I also understand Michael Michael Chandler's point here too, and I would like to see this fight. I hope it is the one that they make since uh, it's looking like Connor's not going to be back uh, until at least the end of the year, maybe not even until next year. Mookie, what do you think of this? Well, it's Monday, so hopefully by the time this show is up on Tuesday, we get to hear an announcement of Poirier and Chandler. Because I, with everybody else booked, I think that's the obvious fight to make. They, they had their confrontation at 276. It's a damn good fight. Even if there was no com- confrontation at 276, they could be the best of buds. They could be all buddy-buddy with each other. I'd watch that fight because we know about Chandler's power. Poirier, as, as tough as he is, he's been knocked out and badly hurt before. And you can't count out Chandler because of his absolute missile of a right hand. But Poirier is the more well-rounded fighter, and you trust his cardio to hold up uh, in, in a, a grueling pace fight over three rounds or five rounds. I think that fight should be five. Uh, I think that's it's mandatory for me for that fight to be five rounds and not three. Mm. You know, the, the other side story here is that Daniel Dariush did an interview because he, he's fighting Gamrot at USC 280. And apparently he didn't want Gamrot. He wanted Poirier. And th- there's part of me going, damn, you know what? Dariush versus Poirier would have been an excellent fight, too. But, you know, Poirier's history with, with guys who are, who are much better than him on the ground uh, would have me a little bit worried for, for Dustin, even if he's got an edge on the feet. So I think it worked out all right. Dariush Gamrot stylistically, I think, works out better. And Poirier Chandler works out better stylistically, too. So I, I would love to see the fight. I would favor Poirier. But Chandler would be absolutely in the mix just because of his fearsome knockout power. Let's not forget that Chandler is a damn, damn good wrestler, too. So if this hits the ground, he's not lost there. No, not, absolutely not. I mean, he can hit that blast double on Poirier. Mm-hmm. Poirier's takedown defense is not as hardly ironclad. And we've seen that That's one right. too many times, I'm afraid. But uh, one thing with Chandler is he is not this, this overwhelming, punishing top game guy. No, so no, grappling he, with Poria could be interesting, but he could also mute his offense by just controlling him. He could also just spam that double, bl- that blast double that he's done before in fights, especially in Bellator. I mean, my goodness. And then I, I have to, I have to pull a name out of the hat real quick that I've been seeing over the weekend because he got his fourth win in a row. Will Brooks is calling for to come back to the UFC. Now the reason why I say that is because Will Brooks beat the brakes off Michael Chandler a couple of times. So I just wanted to put that out there because it's sort of all a big circle. Yeah, and that's something. Apparently, he beat uh, Luis Pena. I wish he had stopped him. But uh, mm-hmm. yeah, he beat Luis Pena by split decision. How in the world could you book Luis Pena at this point, man? Right. Goodness, have you no shame, ex MMA? But uh, yeah, he, he's he's had his ups and downs. I mean, Will Brooks had so much um, expectation coming into the UFC as uh, the, the Bellator lightweight champion, and. I mean, he, he just fell apart for him yeah. and getting stopped every time like Oliveira, Alex and Charles and then Nick Lentz, who never finishes anybody, was able to choke him out. Yeah. And it didn't really hold out all that well in PFL because he, he got eliminated in the one tournament he entered there. Getting choked by Gleason T-Bow in 2019 is a, a low point, if you ask me. But these are not half bad wins he's been getting. Mm-hmm. So I'd like to see him back in the UFC. I mean, he, he's 35, so it's kind of a Hail Mary here. But I think he's still – he's with ATT, right? He is, but he, listen, the UFC – one thing I know, and I got this from a personal source, they don't like to bring guys onto the roster that are over 35. And Will Brooks will be 36 in two months. So it's highly unlikely they're going to bring him over based off of uh, – a split. He he beat Luis Pena in a split decision, right? Yep. Yeah, they're not going to bring him back for that. No, they're not. I mean, I doubt they would bring him back at all. They don't need a Will Brooks in the lightweight division. They're packed. Mm-hmm. True. I'd just like to see him back to see him give it one more go. But I know the USC matchmakers unlikely to do that. But yeah, I remember the second Chandler fight. The first fight was close, but the second fight. That's when Chandler was pretty much out on his feet and turning your back towards your opponent mm-hmm. yep. like that is pretty much an auto stoppage. If you're a, if you're a halfway decent ref in boxing or kickboxing or MMA, the moment you turn your back toward, uh, towards your opponent, 
and you don't seem like you know where you are, it's got to be over. That's right. So, yeah, look, look what's happened since then. You, you would have thought, man, what's what's happening to Michael Chandler now that he's lost to Will Brooks twice? And now Michael Chandler almost became UFC champion uh, with that Oliveira fight. And Will Brooks is, is fighting Luis Pena on, on a regional regional card in South Carolina. So yeah. don't think anybody would have predicted that eight years ago. That's right. But I also I, I just can't put Will Brooks into the UFC based off of that. I, I know that, you know, we would like to see these things because we like a good story, but I, I think he would get into the UFC and do exactly the same thing the, the first time around. He'll shit the bed. Yeah, that is distinctly possible. Now, I mentioned that Will Brooks was in a PFL tournament. I think that PFL tournament was in 2019. No, it was 2018 for him. But in that same uh, tournament was Chris Wade, another former UFC fighter. And he is in this year's postseason. In fact, I believe he'll be fighting uh, Brendan Lochnan next month. He will. So he, he went down to weight class. He's down at featherweight. But he's got uh, some things to say about PFL and the pay. So in an interview with MMA Fighting, he said, I want to preface it by saying I've really enjoyed my time competing in the PFL. I'm thankful, to, thankful for the original opportunity I got coming out of another organization and jumping over. But the facts are the facts. I'm not happy that I was a lightweight and I essentially got cut utilizing a pandemic clause during COVID that was an obscure clause at the bottom of, of a document, like it's just put in there to completely protect the other side. That stung. So he got cut, but he came back. Now, fighters usually have an escalate, a pay escalator. You, you get more money with each fight. And PFL has the, the slightly different system because you got the regular season, you got the playoffs, and then you got the grand old million-dollar prize in the finals. But uh, Wade says his compensation hasn't matched uh, his success in the PFL. And he's had plenty of success. I mean, he, he's only lost four times in PFL compared to, I believe, 10 wins. So that's a pretty good record. And he, he was a featherweight finalist last year, just lost in the tournament final. He said, I'm the top dog of 145. I'm knocking people out. I'm doing what they ask of me. I'm promoting fights. You've got some of these other guys. They're making a lot of noise. They're talking. But I don't understand why they seem to be doing better than I'm doing while they're laying on people, doing what they complain to me about at lightweight about not finishing fights. There's a chip on my shoulder. I'm very aware of what's going on, and I'm very aware of what the other guys are earning. So uh, he, he said the biggest problem for him, the pay he received during the regular season and not receiving a bump in salary entering the postseason. So uh, he said, listen, I've never said one word about my regular season pay because I agreed to that. I took my chances. I bet on myself. But I just don't understand. And anyone I explain it to how I can become the first seed again, score more points than I've ever scored before, run deep into a playoff format that has shrunk from an eight man bracket, which is easier to get into, to a four man bracket, which is more difficult to be in the upper echelon. And then to move on from the regular season, but go in reverse in compensation. That doesn't make sense in any setting, in any sport, in any world. Unfortunately, for the last two seasons, that's something me and my family have faced. So we know that PFL cards generally don't have fighter pay release because they're in Nevada or, or, or in Texas or in New York, you know, states that don't release payouts. But his last fight, which was a quick head kick TKO of Kyle Bokniak uh, in June, that was in Georgia. And Georgia does release payouts. So his purse may surprise you a bit. 70,000 total, 35 to show, 35 for the win. So Wade was the second lowest paid among the four fighters moving on to the featherweight semifinals. Bubba Jenkins, 98K. Brendan Lachman, 170K. <gasps> wow, what the hell? Which, you know, good for Brendan Lachman, given he should be in the UFC right now. And he probably wouldn't be getting 170K no, he in the not. UFC. But 35K, 35K, that's distinctly possible. Wade is not making a ton more than he is than he did in the UFC. But uh, he, he just says he just wants equal pay for the same job. He says it's like your back's always up against the wall feeling. You get that sense that you're never doing enough. A, 70, a minute and 10 second knockout, highlight reel, then crickets after. I may as well lay it on a guy and got to win, but that's not how I'm competing anymore. I've got that edge on me that they're looking for, that they want. And I'm not going to name anybody individually. And uh, Brendan Lachman also um, clapped back on Twitter saying, no one cares about you. They will replace you in a heartbeat. <laughs> and now, no, Lachman is from the UK. And this this fight that they're having is going to be in the UK. It's going to be in London, I believe. 
So, uh, yeah, Wade, Wade said, I, I'm supposed to go to England to find this guy's backyard for a $20,000 pay cut and be a good, buy, good boy and be thankful for what I get. But I'm not a good boy. They've had time to call me back. So this is how it's going to go. So you've got that storyline there between Wade and Lockton. But the pay there, that's the interesting bit. Because for him to be on a 35K, 35K deal, apparently when he got cut from the pandemic clause and he got brought back, he started all over with his contract. That's really, really messed up. Yes, it is. So, yeah, that that's uh, a, a whole lot going there. He said his contract essentially started over. So for somebody to be a veteran of not one, not two, not three, but now four PFL regular season and, and, and tournaments, and he's made the playoffs every time, I should add. He was a uh, semifinalist in 2018, a semifinalist in 2019, a finalist in 2021, and now he's a semifinalist in 2022. And the money is 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 not flowing in like it really should for for somebody who's been as successful as him. Indeed, I'm stunned at all this. I really, really think he should consult an attorney because resetting his contract after they cut you. That seems odd. It's just all by itself outside of the pay thing, just the resetting of the contract. My God. Yeah, and as a resetting of the contract as a result of something beyond everybody's control, which which was COVID. So that that makes it extra shitty. Now, we know that they shut the PFL season down for 2020, and Wade was not the only one to get cut. Yeah. I mean, they, they cut quite a few fighters. Wade was just one of the fortunate ones to be brought back. But uh, this does shed a light into some uh, some complaints about PFL's pay structure, because we know there, there are guys like Anthony Pettis who are seemingly getting paid well. Antonio Carlos Jr. has said... He gets paid more in PFL than he ever did in the UFC. And we know the money that Kayla Harrison is making is, is a minimum million per fight. But Chris Wade, I remember Chris Wade's fights in the UFC. Not the most exciting. Same for a lot of his PFL fights. He changes his style, and apparently he didn't really need to. Because if he's getting the same money to, to be exciting compared to uh, the, the, the kind of safe wrestling-heavy decisions, then I, I very much understand his frustration because he's getting on the low end of pay and then I, there will be the, the bump in the playoffs. But you would think that his base pay for just regular season fights would be higher. Kayla gets a million a fight. I thought I saw that she gets 500000 a fight. Yeah, that's what was written down. But yeah. um, Damon Martin said it's oh. closer to a million. Okay, okay. I didn't see that part. Well, that makes a lot of sense. I know Anthony Pettis is making 750000 a fight himself. Yeah, and Rory McDonald also getting paid... Pretty notable, but that's the obvious difference here is that Anthony Pettis is a former champion. Yeah. We'll, we'll put Kayla aside and, and focus on you know former UFC fighters. But Pettis has got the background. Roy McDonald's a, a former UFC title challenger and former Bellator champion, so he's somebody who's excuse me headlined multiple cards over his his days. But Chris Wade has never even reached yeah. a co-main event in a UFC card. He was on the prelims more often than not. So. And even Antonio Carlos Jr., who, who's getting paid a considerable amount of money, he, he did win the Ultimate Fighter Brazil for, for whatever that's worth. And he did crack the top 15 in his weight class when he was in the UFC. So Wade never really did that. But that, that does suck for him. I, I, I just looked up his recent his last UFC payout that was publicly available. And it was 17K, 17K. For when he fought Mehdi Baghdad, man, that's that's a name that I've forgotten. Uh, against uh, on the Cruz Dillashaw card back in 2016. So yeah, he's he's getting paid more in PFL presumably than he did in the UFC. But it's probably not. It's not even probably. It's definitely not the the, the type of jump that he was anticipating. At all, man, that sucks. Yeah, it it, it really does suck. So uh, we'll, we'll see if Chris Wade can earn the million dollars by beating Lockton in enemy territory and then winning the final, which would be in his home state. I think they would host the, the, the final at MSG in New York. So if he can do that, then uh, at least he's got that bit of security. But it just shows you the importance of him just making it to the final or, or winning this tournament because he's on the lower end of the, of, of the pole there for pay. And let's, uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know if they would make it into MSG. Definitely Barclays, but not MSG proper. Yeah, what I meant by MSG is the Hulu Theater. Okay, <laughs> okay, there we the, go. The, the MSG basement, essentially. <laughs> okay. 
All right, so uh, let's get into some other stuff that happened over the weekend in combat sports. You know, Bellator's card had a dismal main event, too. Mm -hmm. Douglas Lima just uh, looking way washed. Wouldn't stop the takedowns, couldn't stop the takedowns of Jason Jackson, who is just boring. He's he's extraordinarily boring to watch. I'm not going to knock him for his wins, but he's not fun. And that fight was dismal. The card itself was was entertaining, including what Tofik Musayev did against Sydney Outlaw. Now, Sydney Outlaw was supposed to be headlining the show in Tacoma. He was supposed to be fighting Patriki Pitbull for the title, but Patriki's injured. So in the meantime, Tofik, who's got a win over Patriki and Ryzen, stepped in, made his Bellator debut against Sydney Outlaw, and Outlaw got dusted in under a minute. He had him doing the chicken dance. And I got to say, this dude's a problem, and... I really would like to see Musayev in that rematch with Patriki. Yeah, me too. Me too. I, I can't... Hmm. You know, we are diehard Pitbull brothers, Stan Wagon riders. Diehard. But man, <laughs> I don't know if I'd pick Patriki in that one. I, I don't know because he is... He's the inferior, he's the lesser of the two brothers. Let's be honest here. Patricio's one of the greats. Patricio really had to persevere to become lightweight champion, and great for him, but he's also been knocked out a few times. Musav got a, a decision over him, but that knockout power is ferocious. Now, we know Patricio hits hard. I mean, he's got serious power in his own right, but Musav, I mean, it was a temple shot, and Outlaw was gone. I think that was a well-timed stoppage. It was 27 seconds. So that's got to be one of the faster, high-level uh, Bellator fight finishes ever. And, you know, he's impressive. And if not Musayev, Usman Nurmagomedov. Yes, good Lord. And the name, come on. <laughs> yeah, Chris Gonzalez was was mincemeat out there. And it, it was a guillotine choke. It felt like, like a front choke. It was almost like a darts choke, front choke combination. But my goodness, this dude is is absolutely fantastic. And he deserves a step up in competition. It feels like it's only a matter of time before Usman Nurmagomedov is champion. Yep. And, yeah, then, so, and then the UFC will figure out a way to, to snatch him away. Yeah. I mean, does it get any more promoter-friendly than that name? Yep. <laughs> Usman Nurmagomedov. Oh, he must be a double badass. Well, you know what? The way he's fighting, if he keeps going up the ladder, then this is going to work out pretty well for him. So, yeah, the, the Bellator car was was more fun than the UFC show, but with some exceptions, which is the weird ending to the larkin Berkamov fight. I um, didn't see that the, one. You'll have to refresh me here. 12 to 6 elbow resulted in a no oh, contest. God. And I believe Larkin threw it. So that fight was, was done quickly uh, inside of three minutes. But, man, remember when Larkin came into Bellator – I think you and I have picked him to, to beat Douglas Lima in, in their mm-hmm. title fight. Yep. Like Larkin was, was on a tear in the UFC. And this was at the time when the UFC was letting some high profile, higher profile guys go in free agency and not renewing contracts. And Larkin went to Bellator in free agency and Lima pieced him up. Yeah. And Lorenz Larkin w- was good in, in strike force, too. I mean, he, he thoroughly outclassed Robbie Lawler. And that's had, that's what had people thinking, man, Robbie Lawler's when he returns to the UFC, he, he's a shell of himself. Mm-hmm. So just imagine that. So he, he ended his strike force career beating Robbie Lawler. He ended his UFC career stopping Neil Magny. Damn. And Larkin's career has been fine in Bellator. He's won six in a row prior to this no contest, but he's just been forgettable. Yeah, I didn't even know he was on the card. Yeah, I, I didn't know either until, until the week of. But yeah, so Bellator is going to take a, a, a quick uh, break, two weeks off, and then they're back August 12th in South Dakota for Nima Gracie and Goichi Yamauchi. Goichi's moving up to welterweight. Wow. That's interesting. Good Lord. Yeah, that, that's a good fight. Um, provided, again, provided this is not a kickboxing match. <laughs> Nima's not an incompetent strike. I mean, that Storley fight, he showed something. But we're here for the scrambles. Mm-hmm. Him and Yamauchi, that should be a really entertaining fight. Now, um, this happened over the weekend as well. <laughs> ACA. I've never, ever seen this before. And <laughs> this was a fight between uh, former welterweight title contender Ali Bagov and USC veteran Rashid Magomedov. Remember him? Mm-hmm. So this was a quarterfinal fight in ACA's lightweight tournament. And all their fights in the tournament are five rounds. But the first four rounds of this fight, just nothing was going on. <laughs> it was terrible to watch. And in the middle of the fifth round, not in the middle, if, if right before the start of the fifth round, 
<laughs> the ACA president, excuse me, Merbek Hasiev stepped in and, and stopped the fight. Double timidity, essentially. So the bout was declared a no contest. And based on a uh, translation from uh, the, the folks at the fight site and somebody who's a native Russian speaker, uh, two men, he said, dear friends, the ACA league is not a, <laughs> not a kindergarten. It is a serious league. The ACA league today is, regardless of what anyone says, the second greatest fight league in the world. Every time I say this, someone comes out with some sort of criticism. And now we are showing you what sort of league we really are. That's it. Disqualified. That's it. I've had it. I've got no nerve for this. What is this? What the fuck are you? What are you? You think we're schoolboys over here? Right. You're all free to go. That's it. You know what? He, when he walks into the cage, it's so funny because he's wearing all black and he's old. And he walked in like the freaking Grim Reaper and he just put the sickle down, you know? <laughs> yeah, he, he just went in there, waved it off himself. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what. It's not something that you're going to see in, in major promotions because the, the commission would be pissed off. But you know what? If Dana White had gone into the cage for round five of Rose Namunas and Carlos Barza <laughs> 2 and nope. said, cut this shit out. I don't want to see another minute of it. My respect for him would skyrocket. Yep, nobody because would have minded. Nobody would have, been, would, nobody would have criticized him <laughs> for, for that. Uh, you know what? He would have been a hero to us. Yes, he he would have gotten. He's already loved by 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 so many fans at, at press conferences and everything. If he went in there and stopped the worst title fight in UFC history prematurely, and then we get a no contest out of that, the fans would have applauded Dana. They would have personally bought beers for him. They would have donated their beers to Dana White just to save them from another five minutes of that torturous dreck. Yep. But man, Rashid Magomedov and boring fights. I mean that that is an iconic duo, and he's still doing it in ACA. But little did we know that the, the tolerance for his increasingly shittier fights reached uh, reached a critical point in time that the president says, screw it, neither one of you deserves to win. <laughs> there are many fights in history where I wish, as far as I'm concerned, any fight moving forward that is of that caliber, a tournament fight, a title fight, where it's just so unwatchable through the X number of rounds, I will be absolutely rooting for somebody to, to intervene in the cage and, and or the ring and call it off. I am with you 100%. Because if that doesn't happen, then the second bit is it's time for, for, for um, referees to, to um, warn a lot more for timidity. Remember the Clay Guida-Gray Maynard fights? And I think Guida got a, a, a warning for timidity. Yes. Yes, I do. You know, Nick Lentz fights were also very, very hard to watch, too. Yeah, but it wasn't like it wasn't timidity as much right. as it was, you know, ineffective offense. What about but, Nate Quarry and Caleb Starnes? Oh, yeah. I, I think Dana, they, they cut Caleb Starnes like straight after that, right? Mm -hmm. If Dana was in a bad mood that night, he would have gotten into the cage and tackled Starnes to the ground himself. <laughs> I mean, Nate, Nate Quarry was doing the running man thing, right? <laughs> yeah. He was, I mean, it, it was so bizarre. And Starnes absolutely deserved that release. And he inspired an SB Nation name. Watch Caleb run. Yep. If anybody remembers that site from yesteryear. Oh, boy. So on that note, that's it for this week's show. You can follow me on Twitter at Mookie Alexander, Steffi at Crooklyn MMA, and the show at Mookie and Crookie. We're on Facebook at Facebook.com slash Mookie, letter N, then Crookie. Don't forget, you can listen to me and Steffi alongside Victor Rodriguez on the Level Change podcast every Friday. We will make our UFC 277 picks and more in that episode. Um, I don't remember how we did. Uh, I'll score, do the tally after we're done recording. But Victor almost certainly took a bath on, on a couple of those fights. Yes. But you know what? I think he actually got the Uzdemir fight correct. He did. Yes, he might have done better than I thought then. Because Oh, wait, he picked uh, Gustafson, didn't he? <gasps> did he? Yeah. Oh, no. Well, well, he'll have a lot to answer for then. <laughs> uh, Steffi's also on. It might have been a bad edible. You never know. Steffi's on care. Don't care with Eugene S. Robinson and John Ash on Mondays. Eugene is back, right? He is back. Yes, sir. All right. So I assume he's he's, he's got he's won the hearts of Europe with his uh, musical performances, and he hopefully has quite a few cares for this card. He does, and he did. He showed up hoarse because he did sixteen shows in three weeks. Hardest working man in show business mm -hmm. now that, that James Brown is, has left us. So, yeah, Eugene S. Robinson, you, you, you better check his stuff out. 
And uh, yeah, I see here five cares for for Nash and Robinson and six for you. Mm-hmm. How, how, did, how are you the only one who cared about the Blood Diamond fight? Man, that, that's a good fight. It is a good fight. And name value alone, a guy named Orion is going to fight a guy named Blood Diamond. How do you not care about that? Yeah, I mean th- th- that's and it's on the first fight on the on the prelims too. <laughs> right, curtain jerker, perfect win. Yeah, that I, I'm I'm looking forward to that one, and I think that Drew Dober fight should also have gotten some mm-hmm. cares. But you know, Rafael Alves is is not exactly a name that anybody's interested in. Say, but I'll watch Drew Dober fight anybody. Yep. By the way, I forgot contender series is later this evening. You know, from the day that uh, this show is uploaded, a fight on that card got canceled because. Um, the fighter missed weight by 10 pounds. Okay. Yes. And Nevada said, you know what? We can't do 10-pound differentials. William Souza was supposed to fight at Bantamweight. He weighed in at 146. Good Lord. Wow. Good on the yeah. commission for stopping that, though. Yeah, that's uh, that's a full Oliveira. Mm-hmm. Charles Oliveira, that is. And a full Gallard, too. Because I know, uh, and a full Rumble, because Rumble did that as well. I think he missed by like 14 pounds one time. 14? For that Vitor fight? That's right. It was. He missed by the whole weight class. Yeah. I think, I think he missed weight by, by even more after he got cut from the UFC. So, yeah, that's uh, it's safe to say that William Souza will not be getting a contract from the UFC anytime soon. But uh, yeah, Contender Series is a good watch, so we'll be sure to cover that as well. If you want to know where else you can find Bloody Elbow Presents podcasts beyond just this show and Care Don't Care, uh, just wait till the very end. You'll get the full list of outlets in the pre-recorded outro. So until next time, please take care of yourselves and join us again for the next show in August. Thank you for listening to this Bloody Elbow Presents production. To check out more of our content, Hop over to the Bloody Elbow Presents SoundCloud and iTunes pages, as well as subscribe to our YouTube channel, which is titled Bloody Elbow Presents. We are also on Apple Podcasts, iHeartRadio, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn, Overcast, Player FM, and Amazon Music. Just search for Bloody Elbow Presents, and you will get brand new shows throughout the week, including Care Don't Care, The Mookie and Crookie Show, the MMA Vivisection, the Level Change Podcast, the Sixth Round Post-Fight Show, Sixth Round Retro, the MMA Depressed Us, Crooklyn's Corner, Exclusive Fighter Interviews, Show Money, and Radio-Style Play-By-Play for every UFC pay-per-view. Be sure to also follow us on Twitter, at Bloody Elbow, Facebook at facebook.com slash bloodyelbowblog, and as always, on bloodyelbow.com.